welcome back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, the zoo beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com. We're joined by Ben Fredrickson, Post-Dispatch columnist. Uh, and later we're going to be joined by Bennett Durando, a familiar name uh, for Post-Dispatch readers. He covers Auburn for the Montgomery Advertiser, and he's going to uh, keep us updated and give us the lowdown of what's happening down on the plains where Missouri will play for the first time ever this weekend on Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff on ESPN, Missouri and Auburn, the SEC opener for both. But before we get to that, Ben, we got to talk about the, the Tigers in Missouri and what's going on with this team. They, they came off a 34-17 win over Abilene Christian, a little too close for comfort. Um, Missouri's not accustomed to having those FCS games that close, at least on the scoreboard. Didn't really feel that close during the game, but it ended up being just a 17 point win. Uh, you were, you were on Cardinals duty at Saturday, but, um, just kind of any quick takeaways you, you had from that game, just seeing the score, seeing the highlights. Well, you wanted it to be a game that, um, answered as many concerns as it could against an opponent that told you nothing. Yeah. And it didn't exactly do that, Dave, as you said, it was a little, a little tighter than I think most people would have wanted. And, and also, and this is in no, uh, the Tigers could have done nothing about this part of it, but it was kind of one of those weekends where you get a win if you're Missouri and you somehow exit that weekend with, with the fan base feeling worse than, than it did entering it. And, and a lot of that was out of the Tigers' control. Um, thanks, yeah. Kansas State, for uh, totally uh, laying an egg at home against Tulane. And maybe Tulane is good. But here were some of us, uh, I think I probably was guilty of this, was saying, hey, you know, here's the, the silver lining here. It might be that Kansas State's pretty good. And then they turn around and, you know, uh, shoot themselves in the foot the, the next week at home. And, and Tulane scores more and, and has better defense. And you go, oh, well, maybe that argument isn't going to hold as much water. And then if you really want to get down in the, uh, the pit of despair – and roll around and, and let's be honest Mizzou fans that is kind of their nature they, they look at they look at Kansas being one of the uh, undefeated teams in the country Dave and they go that uh, that makes things worse somehow and then uh, for those who really want to go down they, they look at Missouri State and go man the Bears just played art number 10 Arkansas really tough on the road and a loss and and oh is Missouri the best team in the state and you know there's there's some of that brewing so it's uh you know the Tigers ultimately took care of business but they left they left some question marks there, and then some of the things swirling around them maybe uh, maybe made folks a little more on edge. They get a chance this weekend to really, um, you know, really grab their most winnable game that they've got at least for the next, you know, the next two games. I mean, Georgia's a juggernaut. Florida is is probably better than we we thought they might be under year one or Billy Napier. This is a, an Auburn team that is that is reeling in a lot of different ways. Um, they're stressed out. Harson's hanging on by a thread. I know we're going to get into this more, but it's a, it's a very winnable game in the eyes of both Tigers. You know, Auburn's looking at Missouri saying, hey, we, we can absolutely beat these guys after getting roughed up by Penn State. So those make for compelling games where, where it, both teams feel like it's, it's a must win, even if they're not going to say it. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's let's set the stage here. Auburn is is two and one. Haven't played on the road yet. Uh, they were lucky to beat San Jose State. They barely got by in that one. Squeaked by. Then they just get absolutely pummeled by Penn State. Uh, the score, I, I think, it was the same score Missouri had at K State. No, it was forty-one to twelve. So one more point. Uh, 
Penn State's defense just kind of annihilated Auburn's offensive line. I think they had six sacks. Uh, Auburn's got quarterback issues now. T.J. Finley is out. Robbie Ashford, the transfer from Oregon, probably, I would suspect, be the main guy, though they also have Zach Calzada, the A&M transfer, who, who did beat Missouri last year in Columbia. So you don't know what they're going to do there necessarily. Uh, backs against the wall for sure. Brian Harson. I mean, there's talk. If they lose this game, that could be it. They could be the next team to make a midseason change. I, I don't think many people expect him to stick around beyond this year, uh, regardless what happened Saturday, just because things have just – just not worked out there. There's been tension. There's been uh, you know, nobody seems really satisfied. The players, you know, in the off season said all the right things in support of him, but it, you know, there's just not a lot. Uh, there's not a lot of upside there. It just doesn't seem like a great fit. And uh, we'll see. I mean, I don't think anything that I don't think winning Saturday saves his job by any means, maybe just for another week. Uh, but they've, they've got some issues. They've got a really good running back and tank Bigsby barely touched the ball against Penn state. Uh, led to you know a lot of questions about Harson you know as a as a play caller or as, as a as an offensive coach. Um, before we get to all that, we got to mention I wrote about this. I mean there are a lot of connections between this staff and Missouri, and then even just Missouri staff's connections to Auburn. Uh, you know this is where Eli got his start in coaching as a quality control assistant at Auburn under under uh, Gene Chizik, but really under Gus Malzahn. Uh, was part of that 2010 staff that won the national championship. And I asked him the other day, you know, like, did you think coaching was easy in college? He's like, yeah, my first job, we get the best quarterback in the planet and Cam Newton and then win the national championship. So it seemed pretty easy to me. Obviously it's not. And uh, then he, he did, then he connected with Brian Harson at, at Arkansas state coached under him at Boise state uh, said he's indebted to him for, basically saving his career at that point. And Blake Baker said the same thing. Missouri's defense, right. he was uh, ran the defense for, for Harson at, uh, at Arkansas state. And another interesting little connection, Harson's mentor is Manny Diaz and not Harson's mentor. Blake Baker's mentor is Manny Diaz. He was his head coach at Miami uh, when Baker was the defensive coordinator where is Manny Diaz now? He's the defensive coordinator at Penn State and just kind of drew up this destruction of Harson's offense last week. So, you know, those two have probably been trading notes uh, this week for sure. So a lot of connections there, e- even though Missouri's never played at Auburn, this will be their first time uh, in, in history, not just in the SEC. So uh, it's going to be a new new surroundings for all those Missouri players, but a very, very familiar place for Drinkwitz for sure and his staff. So... All right, the table is set. Now I think we need to talk, take a closer look at this Missouri team and what is troubling them through three weeks. And I thought we'd play a little game here. We're going to raise some red flags on this Missouri <laughs> team, okay? And I've got multiple, I've got multiple red flags. Multiple red flags. And I've got four different shades of red. And we're going to rate these problem areas based on the colors. So you got to stick with me here. Okay. Our shades are rose. This is from lightest to darkest, the darkest being the biggest problem. Okay. Uh, rose, and we go a little darker with crimson, and we go even more darker with scarlet. And our darkest shade of red is mahogany. Okay. I actually found like a official color palette, and these, these are real. Uh, the shades are in, in their grade of order. 
So we're going rose, crimson, scarlet, mahogany. These and sound I, straight out of the Home Depot uh, paint section. Uh, possibly. Sure, maybe. <laughs> I, I Sherwin right, Williams, so, maybe. Uh, I don't okay, know if they, okay. they're not sponsors, so I don't know if we need to get They can be. They can be. Give a they're call good. to uh, executive producer Gary Harrelson and uh, our co-executive producer Chris Drury, and I'm sure they could set that up for us. My, I, I will say my wife is in the process of painting uh, our, our first floor bathroom and just might have a product from one of those companies you mentioned. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Okay, so let's start with Missouri's offensive line. Red, uh, red flags every week. Yeah, mahogany, blaring mahogany as, as dark and concerning as it can get um, for a lot of reasons, Dave. Um, a, the, the production's not there. The push isn't there. We have talked a lot about play calling and is a running back going to emerge? And, you know, Brady Cook, can he, can, he, can he be the quarterback Missouri needs him to be? All of these things hinge on what the offensive line can do. Um, they got pushed around at Kansas State, and they weren't as effective as they would have hoped to be against Abilene Christian. And, you know, when, it, when the competition gets bigger and stronger – and faster in the SEC, you worry about how that line is going to hold up. So when Eli says, you know, that he's examining every every spot on the offensive line, that's not good. Now, I, I, I kind of I kind of laughed at the fans who got really irate about that comment because what if if he would have said after those games, well, we're not going to look at anything on our offensive line, they would have been rightfully mad. But he, he admits right. they got to figure some stuff out, and people go nuts. But you know, here's the thing: your offensive line. It has to get better as the season goes along. It is not like your receiving core, your quarterbacks, your running backs, or you know, even to some degree your, your your defensive specialty spots where it's just about finding the right guy and letting him go do his thing. It's a unit. They have to gel, and that's the hope, is that as they play together, as they get reps, as they figure out maybe moving one guy to a different spot is the answer or a combination of that becomes a better answer. But if this group doesn't start getting better through guys – getting in there other guys playing less or changing spots or or just simply benefiting from the experience and this season is going to be a, a long grind and it's not going to be a pleasant one I think a lot of their problems offensively despite all of the, the hyperventilation about Brady Cook and how much Luther Burden is used and and, and, and a running back needing to to you know emerge as 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 the workhorse and all these things would be great for the offense don't get me wrong but the biggest issue right now I think is on the offensive line for sure. Uh, and two numbers kind of back that up. 13. They've had 13 penalties called on the offensive line in three games. Uh, a whole bunch of holding calls against Abilene Christian. And those are drive killers. Those put you back 10 yards. Uh, and it, they've really struggled to overcome those. And maybe most troubling is it's kind of across the board. It's not just one guy. It's been multiple guys. And you, and you know that any smart head coach on the other sideline is seeing that. And he's, he's mentioning to a linesman, hey, watch for the holding. These guys hold a mm -hmm. lot. And then you start seeing them come in bunches. So that's a big concern. 26, 26 tackles for loss allowed through three games. That is the most by any Power 5 offense. Uh, here's who has more allowed in FBS. Liberty, Connecticut, Akron, New Mexico, Middle Tennessee, Colorado State, and Nevada. That is not exactly company you want to keep in the uh, in the stats. And those, you know, not every one of those comes down to a blocking mistake, but more often than not, that is the issue. They're allowing way too much penetration 
that can't happen, puts you behind the chains. And it just, it increases your, or decreases your margin for error so much more, puts so much more on the shoulders of Brady Cook and, you know, play callers and everybody when you're, when you're just getting pushed backward like that, that, that cannot happen. I, I, I do think if there's going to be one change personnel wise, Mitchell Walters may be a candidate. He was moved up on the depth chart. He's a, a St. Louis guy from Melville High School. Hasn't gotten a lot of playing time, but uh, wouldn't be shocked if you see him play a little bit more, maybe at right guard. Uh, that, that's the spot on the depth chart where he is. Connor Wood is the, has been the starter there, and I think he's got four penalties in three games. They, mm. you, just, you just can't have that, no. So well, that here, why do you? Th- those are two really compelling stats that you just stacked up against one another, Dave, because they tell us guys are getting beat, yep. and they also tell us, guys are trying not to get beat because what what happens when you get beat tackles for loss what happens when you're when you're when you're getting beat and trying not to you hold um you you commit penalties you're grabbing at guys as they get past you or you're you're trying to cheat a little bit if you're if you're overmatched or not in the right position to get a you know a quality block on somebody so those stats are those stats are pretty damning i i think you look at to the the lack just the the average yard per rush i, I think missouri clearly would love to have Tyler Beatty back, but I don't know that any of these running backs are getting a lot of opportunity to do some of the things he did. I mean, you've, you've got to make guys miss and you've got to break, be able to break a tackle in the open field. But if you just give a guy the ball and there's no daylight, it's really hard for anybody to run the ball. Well, Um, it's hard for Brady cook to, to, you know, make some of those, complete some of those throws downfield if he, if he knows as soon as he gets the ball, there's going to be somebody in his face. Kansas State at one point in Manhattan was rushing three guys and getting pretty consistent pressure. Um, that, that can't happen in the SEC if you're going to have a functioning offense. So um, they got to figure out the, the right mix, and they've just got to get better. I mean, sometimes it's, it's, it's personnel, and sometimes it's guys just realizing, like, they've got to grow every week. And if this offensive line does that, Maybe this becomes kind of the more improved unit of this team as the season goes along. But if it gets worse instead of better, then then there's not much hope for the offense. So I, I would imagine that of all the flags we're going to hand out today, that's that's going to be our, our 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 darkest, most concerning one. Yeah, I would think so. All right, let's let's move on. Stay on offense. How about Brady Cook? Um, he's coming off statistically a pretty good day against an FCS team, which you would expect. If you really dig into the numbers, into the pro football focus numbers, he was it was the highest rated game for a Missouri quarterback since Kelly Bryant against Troy in 2019. So this was a, a better game with by the advanced metrics of PFF than any game Connor Basilak played at Missouri. So that's promising. It could have been even better. He had a, a drop third down by Barrett Bannister, which is very rare. He also should have had a touchdown pass to Toski Dove kind of a back shoulder fade and it was really well thrown over the defender dove just couldn't get his foot down um, but it it would have been should have been a touchdown and that you know that took some points off the board there uh what do you think rose crimson scarlet mahogany for brady cook through three weeks i'm, I'm gonna give him i'm gonna be optimistic and give him rose um i, I think brady had the kind of game in in game three that you hope the whole team would have one yeah. where he kind of eased, eased some concerns. And I love the number that you put out this week about the shots down the field that this offense has taken. Now they haven't converted them all, but right. he's showing an ability to be able to chuck it when he needs to. You need to you need to convert some of those. You need to 
you know, you need to make those completions, not just attempts, but this notion that is kind of running rampant that he's this guy who can't move the ball at all down the field. It's not accurate if you're watching if you're watching the games. I really like his mobility. I, I was impressed with that with how he started trying to use his legs against Kansas State, but that can't be the whole offense. Um, I, I think kind of like our last flag, a lot of this is going to depend on the offensive line. So he's he's definitely a quarterback who can start a game against an FCS team and look really good. What he's got to prove, Dave, is he can start a game against an SEC team and look really good. And yeah. he'll have a chance to do that Saturday. It's not in a vacuum, though. I mean, if he's running for his life the whole game, then then nobody's going to look good. But I, I haven't seen anything right now that screams like Brady Cook is the big problem. I understood why Eli went to Jack Abraham in Manhattan. Brady was getting killed. Um, he was running and just getting getting knocked around. He was a little beat up. He took a huge shot in the second half. I thought he showed a lot of toughness coming back in that game. He's a tough kid. I'm I'm optimistic about Brady, but you know he's going to have to get some help from his offensive line, from his from his playmakers. But I'm 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 not here after three games saying this guy can't be a functioning quarterback for a functioning offense. I think he's shown some things. I think he's got some more room to go. I think Saturday's a big test for him, but I was encouraged by what he was able to do last week. And if he can take that, build confidence and move forward, then we should see more strides from him. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I thought Saturday was a, a good day for him and which, which it should be. Now he's got to do it against bigger, faster, stronger defenders. And it's not all on him, obviously, but um, yeah. And that, that stat you're alluding to, I tweeted the other day, just, I just get bombarded with, with comments from folks saying that they never throw deep. And that's just categorically not true at all. If PFF does a great job, now their grades sometimes I don't quite understand, um, but just tracking the raw numbers, they're really good at this. Uh, and here's the stat that I, I put out if anybody didn't see it. If passes that are targeted 20 yards or, or more downfield, which are considered deep shots, only one quarterback in the SEC has attempted more than Brady Cook. That's Hendon Hooker at Tennessee and Josh Heupel's offense, where that's what they do all day is just take those deep shots. Uh, but Cook has thrown 16. I think Hooker's at maybe 20. So he's he's thrown, taken more deep shots than these really good quarterbacks in Arkansas, Kentucky, uh, Alabama, the Heisman winner. Um, so that's now what the problem is, he's not completing many of them, I think only four. Uh, so that needs to be addressed and fixed and, you know, worked out with his receivers, but it's not for a lack of trying uh, on the intermediate routes, like 10 to 19 yards, his accuracy and his efficiency is as good as any quarterback in the SEC. So again, he's going to face better competition. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think so far, that's been fairly promising. I think one interesting thing um, about Brady and this, our friend Gabe Yarman asked Eli Drinkwitz on Tuesday, if he's concerned about how he finishes his runs and Brady Cook does yes. not slide. Yes. And, and Eli, he paused. I didn't count. I didn't, I didn't get the stopwatch out, but it was about an eight second pause. And he came back and said, nobody's questioning his toughness. That's, that's not something he has to prove. But there's a difference between tough and dumb tough. We yeah. don't need we don't need dumb tough runs from our quarterback. Yep. And uh, I I suspect if he gets in the open field on Saturday, he will he will slide feet first. Yeah, and and no offense to Brady, and he's got the heart of a lion. Um, 
he's not Cam Newton, okay? Um, I don't know what they list him as as the roster, but I'm guessing it's it's weighing him with his pads and helmet and cleats on. Um, he got truck stick by that by that Kansas State linebacker, and the press box was like, "Is he going to get up?" And now he's tough as nails, and he jumped right up. He was up before the guy who tackled him. But right. over the course of a season, I mean, hell, by the end of the second by the end of the first half in that game, those hits had already started to add up. And here's the the harsh reality: Who else you got? Right. You know, Jack Abraham came in and threw two interceptions in three attempts. That's not exactly saying I'm the guy, you know, put me in coach. No offense to Jack. It's not how you win a job. It's not how you start to create a quarterback controversy. I think if Eli thought Sam Horn was ready right now, we'd see him. I don't think he does. Um, We asked him in Manhattan, did you think about going to the freshman? And he said, without a pause, no, Um, they're not going to throw him in there if they don't think he's ready. Now, maybe that changes as the season goes along, but you're going to have to see some signs that, that he's even waffling on that idea before you convince yourself that, that Brady Cook's the best option. Now, I guess if, if a year from now Tyler Macon is leading some other program to great uh, success on the football field as the quarterback, then Eli's ability to judge quarterbacks will be greatly questioned. Right. But right now there's no indication that there's any other option other than Cook, and that means that, A, He's got he's to be the guy, and B, he's got to stay on the field. And he's got to know that he's not running to try to win the job. He's got the job. He needs to be running to pick up first downs, to, to help stretch defenses, to extend plays on passes, but also to extend his chances of, of being the best option for this team this season, risking you know an extra couple yards if it's not going to move the chains on a game-winning drive. It's not worth it. Go down you know, get them, get them the next time, but, but be smart and use your legs, get out of bounds. He's nimble. He can slide. He can step out. He can gain big chunks of yardage, but you don't want, you don't want him getting teed up um, in the middle of the field, just because he's trying to, to prove that, that, that he can, he can take somebody on. He can, and he will, but he doesn't need to. And if you keep doing that, including at Auburn, it's, it's not going to probably go very well. For sure. Uh, just one little nugget to kind of put to rest any idea that Tyler Macon is in the plans this year at Tuesday's practice, Tyler Macon was wearing number nine. His number is number six. Number nine is the Jersey number for Auburn quarterback, Robbie Ashford. So Tyler Macon is running the scout team right now. When you run the scout team, that's an important job. That means you're not running Missouri's plays. You're not in the game plan. Uh, You're not practicing what Missouri is going to be doing on Saturday. So uh, I, I think that is a very strong indication that he is not an option uh, unless there's a whole bunch of injuries. You, right. you, don't, you don't run the scout team offense if you're in the backup plans. So it's kind of time to put that to rest, uh, even though we've been trying to for a while now. Yeah, and it's, not, right. a, it's not a knock on, on, on Tyler at all. And no, you're right, that no. is an important job. Those jobs are, are critical. Now, the question will ultimately be with him is, is this going to be the role that he's happy with? Does he look for a different a different role at a different place? Does he look for a different role within the team? I mean, those questions are are very fair ones and and to be to be determined. But this this call of change quarterbacks anytime there's a play that doesn't work, just say you want Jack Abraham because that's the only guy right now that we've seen any indication is going to be the one who plays, other than Brady Cook. And if you watched Manhattan, then it wasn't exactly like the case for Jack Abraham got got a lot stronger um that small sample size fair but if you're the backup that those are the sample sizes you have to take advantage of all right moving on we got two more categories special teams 
had some issues on Saturday. They changed punters in the middle of the game. Sean Ketting's out. Jack Stonehouse, a redshirt freshman, was in and did pretty well. He averaged 50 yards a punt. Uh, but he's a redshirt freshman, and now he's going to be punting, you know, on the road in the SEC. Uh, Harrison Mevis missed two field goals, missed a 39-yarder, and he missed a 52-yarder. Is that a concern? Uh, something to discuss. Luther Burden, I, I think he won the, the punt returner job. First time he touched the ball in a punt return, he went 78 yards for a touchdown. I still wonder if fielding the punt on the bounce like he does is that going to come back to bite him at any point? Uh, Eli Drinkwitz, I asked him after the game, uh, do, you, do you hold your breath when he does that? He said, it's fine on turf. Uh, on grass, could be a different story because the ball can bounce a little <laughs> bit differently on, on Dave, natural grass. Dave, what he, what he meant by that was it's fine against Abilene Christian. Well, that too. Uh, <laughs> and so we'll see once they play on different surfaces if, if he can still do that. Uh, we'll also see if teams even decide to punt to him. Uh, or if they, they try to sky the ball so that, you know, their gunners can get down there before, you know, he even catches it. But what do we think about special teams? A little bump in the road? Uh, or is this, uh, is this a concern? All right, I'm trying to remember our color scale here. Rosie was a not so bad, but then there was a step up from Crimson, that. Crimson, scarlet, mahogany. I'm going to go on the fine line between Crimson and scarlet, and here's why. This team needs special teams to be an impact an impact element of its game an impact phase it's got a defense under a new coordinator it's got an offense that's searching for its identity and special teams should be a strength for these guys they've got a dynamic electric return man and luther burden who didn't even get a chance to return a punt until week three i think that was a mistake yeah he does things unconventionally there sometimes but how many you know how many great receivers in the NFL carry the ball like exactly like you teach them not to and everybody just ignores it because they make plays luther's got some of that in his game and i'm not saying he's he's well i am saying he's more special and has the ability to do some more special things than your average guy so if he wants to catch it off the bounce and that's what his instincts tell him to do you roll the dice a little bit and and you let a guy kind of try to read that play and it and it worked if it works you you don't you don't snap down on it he should have been returning punts sooner. I think that was uh, I think that was a mistake. You're, you're yeah, your all-star kicker not showing his uh, his normal steadiness. They've given up a punt return for a touchdown. Um, that was a huge huge play. Not that they would have won the game without it, but that was a big play against Kansas State in that loss coming out of that rain delay. It was a it was a backbreaker type of of moment. So. I'm going to grade them hard because I think they sh this should be a, a phase of their team where they should be able to say, hey, we can maybe win some games that way or at least stay in some games. And, and I don't think it's been quite at that level yet. Yeah, I don't think this team can break even in special teams. They've got to win special teams right. every week to have a chance. Uh, so much, so many hidden yards in, in, in the return game, both coverage and returns, that you have to have an advantage there because that's not that shouldn't be all about who has the most five-star, four-star players on the field. That's about effort and coaching, uh, and that's where they, they need to have an advantage. So we'll see it's, going forward. It's really rare, I mean, it's, and it's really bad, to see a, a football, college football game against Power 5 teams where a punt return is returned for a touchdown, and it includes only one broken tackle. Yeah. yeah that's that was... rare. Now, that's one missed tackle. Those happen. But to get one pair of hands on a guy who returns a punt for a touchdown, that's 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 all sorts of messed up in scheme, 
uh, and maybe borderline effort. Uh, that that can't happen again for this team. If if they give up touchdowns in special teams, the, their chances of winning. I would. I, we can look when the year's over. We can say, okay, did they give up a, a special teams touchdown? Okay, they did. They probably lost the game. I think that's probably a fair thing to to say right now. Okay, last category: defensive line. Uh, should be a strength of this team based on who they return and who they added. I thought it was in week one. Last two weeks, though, you look at the stats, one tackle for loss in two games by a defensive lineman. It was by a backup tackle, Josh Landry. Um, so is this a concern? I asked, I asked Eli Drinkwitz about this on Tuesday. He said, yes, absolutely. They need to be causing havoc back there, and they're not. Asked Blake Baker, defensive coordinator. He pretty much had the same answer. He said, that's not us out there playing that way. Now, he did have a couple qualifiers. He said, uh, Abilene Christian, Max protected their quarterback the whole game. So you're, you're rushing four on, you know, six, basically a lot. Uh, and also their quarterback got the ball out really fast. He said that he averaged 2.1 seconds from snap to release, which is, which is really quick. Uh, but if it worked for them, why wouldn't other teams do the same thing? So Isaiah McGuire, Trajan Jeffcoat, those guys on the edges have got to be more productive. Uh, up the middle, they really like what Christian Williams is doing, the tackle from Oregon. They say he's their best D tackle right now. But he's, uh, you know, those guys rotate pretty evenly inside. So is should this be a concern? You're going up against an Auburn offensive line that just gave up six sacks to Penn State. Big concern, or will they get this thing figured out? Well, I guess I'll go Crimson because I, I think they should be better, and I think there's potential for that. But, hell, we just spent the whole front half of this podcast talking about how Missouri's inability to keep the defensive line from getting through was its biggest concern. So for, for us to say that Missouri's defensive line's inability so far to do the same thing to opposing offenses is not a big deal would be totally hypocritical. Yeah. Um, where's Jaden Jernigan? We talked all about this guy from Oklahoma State, and, He's had some plays, but but they're not living in the backfield. Nobody is. Um, you know the tackles for loss that Missouri is giving up. They're not creating. Where are the sacks? Um, you know the the same thing that has Brady Cook. You know looking over his shoulder every time he gets the ball. Missouri's not creating that. Um, maybe Missouri should be in max protect every time on its on its offensive line. But the, the deal is this, and you know this is the biggest cliche in SEC football, but it's true. It's won and lost on the line and pressure creating it and preventing it is the name of the game. You foil plans if you're in the backfield disrupting things. And this line has got to, has got to prove that it can do that. Um, you know, they don't have to be, a, you know, always pin their ears back, go for broke, all-out blitz defense. But the line has to be creating some disturbances. And these guys who were added, these transfers, they were supposed to be better prepared to, to do that. I think the defense has been – it's been okay. Right. And that's probably the only way to, yeah. to describe it. And it's been, I think, given a, I don't want to say a pass, but it's been given a rosier outlook because last year it was so God awful at this time of the year, but, but Blake Baker doesn't want to be judged on, on Steve Wilkes disaster. He, he wants to, he wants to have a solid defense. And I, I think this one has looked more, I think it's looked more uh, capable of being, average but it hasn't looked disruptive and if they're gonna if they're gonna try to have that be their brand if Blake Baker says who they are is doing some of those things we haven't seen it and my god Saturday's an opportunity to do it at a, at a high level 
against a team that has had, you know, disastrous, disastrous results offensively. Um, Tank Bigsby, I think, scored like totaled like 30 something rushing yards against Penn State. Um, I mean, they, their their line was was porous and they had real issues. Now their quarterback's out. I mean, this should be the kind of game where Missouri's defensive line is drooling um, because you're, you got a you got a team that's on the edge. It's there's some dysfunction there. I mean, the, the general perception in the SEC right now is that Brian Harson will be fired if he loses this game to Missouri. You, you, you have a good start. You, you knock off their first couple of drives. You stall them three, a couple three and outs, and things can really spiral potentially for this Auburn team. I think Missouri's defense is – it's really – it really is needing to play the game of its season at Auburn. And if it can do that, then, then maybe this becomes a defense that – you know, kind of like we saw in week one, right? What, how it's hard to remember the encouragement of the Louisiana Tech game, but what did we see? The defense really held, held the wall. It created turnovers, impact plays, and it gave the offense time to kind of find its footing and, and go. If that could be something this defense can do in SEC play, I think, I think Missouri could really start to put some things together. Yeah, no doubt. The, the turnovers have come in bunches. Remember against Louisiana Tech that they came just right after each other. And then that's that happened again Saturday uh, against Abilene Christian. Uh, Ennis Rakestraw picked off a pass. And then the very next possession, he and Chad Bailey forced a fumble. So maybe that's just what it takes. Uh, they've got to get on a little bit of a roll. And, you know, those can be devastating for an offense, you know, in a, in a conference game when you're at home. So I'm trying to say that Missouri gets some takeaways early at Auburn uh, that those can be the type of momentum swings that really shift things in your favor. And, you know, if you can win that turnover ratio, especially on the road, man, that would be, that would be a gift to Missouri's offense, especially if it really helps with field position. So we'll see. Okay. Those are our categories. So I think there are some concerns on this team, obviously, I think most pressing the O-line um, not as much with Brady cook, Defensive line somewhat, special teams somewhat, uh, but they've, they've got to clean those things up. There, there's no doubt if they're going to be at all competitive in the SEC starting with Saturday. And speaking of Saturday, uh, let's go visit with our man, Bennett Durando, find out what is going on on the Plains. Uh, Auburn, a basketball school these days? I'm not sure. They've got, they've got your guy, Bruce Pearl, there. Uh, the worst. Just, just winning SEC championships left and right or competing for them and I think it's a gymnastics school, actually. They got Suni Lee, uh, you know, the, the uh, Olympic gymnast, and then they've got great basketball team, and then they've got this this football team that, uh, you know, does their too. Hey, ask ask Bennett what happened to the Auburn basketball team after Bruce got his big contract extension. Uh oh, we're gonna go there, aren't we? Yeah, I think the AD who gave that out is fired, isn't he? He's gone. Alan Green oh, is out. Crazy. It's crazy how that works. All right, looking forward to hearing from Bennett. He's a rock star and. Uh, Let's get his take on this team. Now we're joined by Bennett Durando, old friend of the podcast and of, of the Post-Dispatch, of course. Uh, listeners remember reading his stories when he was the uh, campus correspondent on the Mizzou beat just a couple years ago. And he has since gone down to Auburn and, and covers the Tigers as, as well as anybody. He's done a great job for the Montgomery Advertiser. Bennett, it's great to see you. Great to Great to hear from you, read your stuff all the time. You've been on top of this crazy beat. Uh, I'd like to think that covering Mizzou for a couple of years, like gave you good training for the chaos that always seems to be going on at, at Auburn, good or bad. Um, But, but welcome back. 
And uh, boy, you've got quite a situation going on there at Auburn with uh, with Brian Harson, don't you? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, there was there was an NCAA thing at Mizzou that we covered with football in the postseason ban, and then had a coaching search. So there were, you know, there there were there was turbulence, I guess, while, while I was there. But it, it it never quite felt as chaotic and urgent as the way it does here. So yeah, uh, and and now all of a sudden. You know, Brian Harson is 16 games into his tenure and, and looking at him potentially being fired in the next few weeks or if he loses to Missouri, you know, does he even make it off the field? And that that sort of becomes the conversation. So it, it's it's been uh, this was always a possibility after what happened in February with him. And now that they sort of have an ugly loss, it, everything has come back up to the surface and everyone's basically reminded of how fragile his situation has always been <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to what February, but first just where do things stand with him right now? He's what eight and eight through a season and a, and a third basically, or a quarter coming off the bad loss to uh, Penn state, almost the same exact score as Missouri's loss to Kansas state, different kind of loss I'd say, but uh, that one was at home. Um, where, where are things right now with Auburn, and, and Brian Harson, no AD, right? I mean, who's who's calling the shots there for right now? Well, Rich McGlynn is the interim AD. He's he's been at Auburn for uh, since 2006, doing a lot of their compliance stuff. The casual college football fan would probably know him for helping Auburn get through the Cam Newton eligibility situation in 2010. He's also helped with a lot of you know Auburn basketball's NCAA issues uh, during the Bruce Pearl era. So. He's, he's a guy who's really sort of institutionally trusted. And I, I think Auburn's, you know, power players probably feel pretty comfortable with him being in a spot to make whatever decision might be necessary here. So Harson's situation right now is, you know, his hiring AD is gone. He has not won a power five game since last October. Um, and, you know, he's, if you have a losing season at Auburn, it sort of becomes a matter of, when not if uh just because right. i mean gus malzahn never had one and and he only lasted eight years so uh as soon as harson goes six and seven you're you're thinking about that and then as tumultuous as the off season was it it all sort of boiled over i i think the conversation going into the season was can he make it to the end of the year will he coach in a second iron bowl um and you know there were the SEC West is sort of talented across the board enough to where, you know, Auburn was picked last in the division, but they have talented guys on their roster too. And you could easily see them beating a Mississippi state or an LSU at home and, and scraping together enough for him to survive. But with the loss to Penn state, I mean, losing by the largest margin of defeat at home since 2012, the year wow. that Gene Chizik got fired, that, pretty much leads us to believe the writing is on the wall. I, I think he's in a spot where if he loses to Mizzou, it's a guarantee that he's done. If he, he sort of needs to beat Mizzou this week and LSU next week, both at home in order to still have that chance to make it to the iron bowl, I would say. So, and look at the scores last year, they were competitive against Mississippi yeah. State competitive South Carolina wasn't very good, but that was a, a, a four point loss on the road. Then obviously the Iron Bowl goes four OTs. I mean, really came close to, you know, wrecking uh, Alabama season. 
are are things as bad that then maybe like this idea of him getting fired so quickly are are they really that bad on the field internally or is this more about hey the folks at Auburn just don't like this guy I think it's sort of a combination of all those things because you make a great point they were you know choose out 15 to 20 plays or something last season and maybe they're nine and three they were up 28 to three against Mississippi State in that game and uh, you know had a chance to if they win that they still controlled their own destiny in the SEC West actually which is crazy to think about now but they give up 40 consecutive points they blow the double digit leads against Carolina and Alabama and and so you know it, it in the moment it was sort of one of those six and sevens that feels like well they were so close to actually being good that maybe they can sort of put the pieces together but I think the the biggest factor if you're looking at you know the people just don't like him the results on the field the you know internal personality inside the building stuff ultimately what it comes down to is recruiting um and this Missouri game is sort of a great example of what Brian Harson has not managed to do Auburn has has to face a Missouri program that is not you know the rest of the SEC sort of looks down on Missouri especially from a recruiting standpoint but here's Eli Drinkwitz with a a top three guy in the class you know as, as a true freshman star going up against an Auburn team where Harson hasn't landed a top 100 player at you know so they haven't been able to get those commits that if the recruiting and the on-field performance at the same time are sort of you know, in this two-way struggle, it's it's hard to make a case to keep them for that long. Yeah, it seems like it would be more about, hey, this isn't, maybe this isn't terrible right now, but it's definitely not going to get better. And worse than 500 at Auburn just isn't tolerable, especially as long as, you know, the guy over in Tuscaloosa is still doing his thing. And the guy in Athens. <laughs> and the guy in Athens. And how about this? How about Bruce Pearl? Does, does that what Auburn has become as far as a basketball program, does that make it even harder to tolerate losing in football? There, Yeah. I mean, there's, it adds to the impatience for sure. Right. Like this, this fan base is already sort of self-aware, I think about how impatient it is and, and, you know, a little overreactionary sometimes, but you know, it's a school known for booster involvement. That's it's such a huge thing. And, and Bruce Pearl, aside from, having really good results on the court is a master at recruiting donors and recruiting all of the people that he needs to become close with in the Auburn community. Um, and Brian Harson just quite, hasn't quite had that, you know, charismatic personality to him to, to make those connections. So when you've got a guy like Pearl, who you could sort of argue is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful person in the athletic department at this point without an AD, like, when that's your basketball coach and he's higher paid than your football coach, that's sort of the 10,000 foot view of, of how backward things are at Auburn right now. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, all right. February, everything that happened there, can you sum it up in like one minute? Because from an outsider's view is like, what is, is this really about what Harson says it's about, or is it about something else? It was, it was confusing. And then he had that great moment at SEC media days where he kind of spiked the football on not getting fired. Um, and then here we are two months later and he's, you know, back on the hot seat. So w- w- describe the February stuff in a minute. Yeah. So Harson has sort of managed to spin this in a PR way 
to be about you know the salacious message board rumors about him which were false um and and he has sort of presented it i guess you could say pretty intelligently as you know my family has been wronged and, yeah. and you know i sort of an underdog story almost of like i'm i'm doing this for the people of auburn and I'm, i will remain your coach uh when what was really going on was he was being investigated by the university for his treatment of players and coaches so you know he he had assistant coaches leaving in swarms he had players leaving in swarms uh it's you know it's not really a secret that derek mason left for a pay cut at oklahoma state so you know that's that's just one example and there were a lot of I mean, he fired his offensive coordinator, hires a new guy who's 32 years old without any college OC experience, and then the new guy resigns within 43 days. So, wow. you know, it, it's it's all of that, and and the timing of it seemed weird because, you know, the, the aside the point rumors started coming up right after Harson didn't sign anyone on signing day, so it all maybe seemed a little too convenient. But but what this was about was his treatment of players and coaches. And to Harson's credit, I'll say he, for the next few months after that, he was sort of making a deliberate effort to relate to players more and just try to have a bit more of a genuine relationship with the people who were still around. So he expunged the people who, you know, he didn't have the philosophical alignment with and supposedly had this thing in a situation where the people who are left their vision aligns with his. It's a group of people on the coaching staff that get along. His players are bought in. That was sort of the the message going into the season. It's just not really showing up on the field. Yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see the fallout of this because I still think, you know, there's going to be other openings in other Power Five places, and like I, I think he can still be a really good coach if he goes out to maybe the Pac-12, where there's less scrutiny, less. Uh, you know, booster involvement at the crazy levels that Auburn has, like if he would go to an Arizona state or, or if there's, if somebody leaves, you know, Oregon state or Washington state or something like that, where he can be a little bit in a place where the, the spotlight is not so bright. He's, he was a good football coach at Boise state, you know, and I, I think he can be a good football coach at other places, but Auburn, it, it takes a special kind to be able to survive all of that stuff and still recruit and still kind of keep your sanity. It seems like. It's, you know, yeah, it's enticing because there's that national championship ceiling, but the patience is absolutely minimal. You know, the, the boosters sort of loom over the whole thing and, and the schedule every year is extremely difficult, especially when you're sandwiched between what Nick Saban has built at Alabama and what Kirby Smart has built at Georgia. So it's, it's a high risk, high reward job to take. And, and I think you're right. Harson came here and he was so reputed for sort of his creativity as an offensive mind. He was the offensive coordinator on the Boise State team that was pulling out the bag of tricks to beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl 15 years uh -huh. ago. So, you know, that that's the reputation that preceded him here. And he even sort of showed flashes of that in Auburn's season opener, I think more than he usually does, sort of a, a pro style, but in very inventive different ways. Uh, but he sort of has gone away from that since then, weirdly enough. And it, it's just been a push-pull the entire time. And, and he, you know, I, might be a situation where he's just in over his head a little too bit, too much. Yeah. Sorry. yeah. 
Wow, it's 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 crazy to think sixteen games in. Or this is the kind of conversation we're having. All right, so let's let's move forward to Saturday's game. Auburn is about a seven seven half point favorite, sitting there at two and one, same record as Missouri. Both have a bad loss to their only uh, Power Five team they've played. What what does this Auburn team do well that you think can show up Saturday? Run the ball. Uh, <laughs> Tank Bigsby's you know he's maybe the most dynamic running back in the league. Uh, he only had nine carries and 11 total touches against Penn State, and that was sort of one of the big storylines coming out of that game was, was his lack of involvement, especially when Auburn has uncertainty at quarterback. So, you know, a, their offensive line is pretty shaky. I think there's a fun debate to be had right now about whether Auburn's or Missouri's offensive line is worse. But yeah. – uh, but Auburn has a guy who has crazy numbers after contact in the backfield. So that's where it all starts. They have a really good defensive front on paper. Uh, and then it just didn't show up against Penn state either. So really, really the two strengths you think are Auburn's run game on offense. If you're just rely on tank Bigsby as much as you can. And then, you know, what should be a really good pass rush and a solid run defense up front, except Auburn didn't sack Sean Clifford at all for Penn state last week so that's you know jury's out on whether that defensive front is as good as it's supposed to be yeah okay. what is the quarterback situation as of as of today we're recording this on wednesday yeah so uh i, I reported yesterday uh that tj finley is not expected to play he's pretty much going to be unavailable um he was named the starter a week before the season um, but Auburn has been going with sort of a two quarterback system where, where Robbie Ashford, the Oregon transfer, would sort of mix in for running packages. Um, he started the second possession of all three games so far. Uh, that sort of has just been the formula that they've gone by. And, and um, so Finley is, is there's concern that he might be out for multiple weeks right now. Basically, we're looking at Ashford is the likely starter for Auburn. Um, Zach Calzada has been the big question mark, and no one really thought that he would be the third string uh, when he transferred here from Texas A&M, but uh, sort of has been recovering from a shoulder injury throughout the offseason of, of his own. It's Finley. It, it's a shoulder for Finley, too. But um, Ashford looks like he's the starter. He's a dual threat guy. They do a ton of, like, sort of split zone option stuff with him. Um, and, and he's been able to do well with that. But the question is, will it be too one dimensional? Yeah. Yeah. And Missouri has seen Calzada. He, he was the starter last year for Texas A&M at Mizzou. Didn't have a, a great day. He was coming off the Alabama game where he, he was the, the, the highlight of his career, obviously. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see just, just what they go with. All right. So kind of flip things around. Where's, Where's Auburn vulnerable? Where can maybe Missouri have an advantage in this game? Um, they, they really struggled with the environment in Manhattan, Kansas, a couple weeks ago. It's going to be a much bigger, louder crowd at Auburn. I don't know. Loud is loud, though, if you're down on the field. Like, I don't, I don't know if it'll make a huge difference um, or if it'll be any harder to communicate and all those things. But, but where is Auburn maybe vulnerable in this matchup? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm – looking at how Auburn's secondary handles guys like Lovett and Luther Burden. Um, that that's to me is, is where the game could be won for Mizzou because like I, I, the only Mizzou that I've watched live this season so far was uh, most of the first half and a little bit of the second half against Kansas state. I, 
it seemed like they were sort of doing a lot of side to side stuff and yeah. that just wasn't working because their offensive line was so shaky. Um, but I think if you get Luther Burden involved in various ways, if, if you give him some one-on-one -on -one matchups uh, against Auburn's secondary, the, the coverage has been a bit of a mess. Even if you go back to the San Jose State game for Auburn, um, which, which Auburn only won 24-16, uh, San Jose State was 14 for 17 passing using routes that used the middle of the field at all. Um, they, they had about seven just simple eight to 12 yard slants that Auburn could not defend sort of a lot of off man zone looks and coverage. And so they just got gashed over the middle by a team that wasn't very good. So when you look at Mizzou roster that has the receiver talent with guys like Burden, I, I don't know who the best cornerback is for Auburn to match up against him out wide. And if you um, give him some chances to just get open over the middle, I, I think Brady Cook can sort of hit his spots and, and that's where Auburn's going to have trouble. Yeah. I, I just, uh, if they can protect Cook, um, which has been an issue, you know, I, I think maybe you can get some things done through the air, the running game. I, if, if they can't run against Abilene Christian, I just don't really see how they can do it. Even against an Auburn defensive line that might be underachieving a little bit, they just cannot win at the point of attack. It's been so hard for them. They, they're talking about maybe changing up the O-line a little bit this week. Uh, they're, they have tight ends on the field. They're just not doing much at all. They're almost exclusively blockers in the run game and they're just not, there's no punch there at all. So it's, it'll be interesting. I, I think for Missouri, they really need something really good to happen early. You know, whether it's a punt return, big kickoff return, um, you know, break a, a shot down field because they just under a drink wits. And I don't know if just it's a coincidence or a trend or what, when they get on the road, like when things go bad, they, they just struggle to recover and bounce back against a quality opponent. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I, I just think they need to experience some success early, maybe take the crowd out a little bit. Um, but that's, you know, easier said than done. That, yeah, I mean, they, uh, they, they've allowed 26 tackles for loss, is it, or something yeah. like that? Most in the power five. Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty rough, and, and a lot of it has been running the football. So that, that's an area where, again, it, it was sort of bizarre that Auburn's defensive front didn't have any success against Penn State, but I have a hard time just if, if you're looking at the talent of Auburn's defensive line versus Missouri's offensive line that's pretty one-sided right there. Um, and I, it's, it's gotta be a thing where you're looking quick routes for, for Brady cook. Again, that's why I think if you can do sort of short mesh patterns over the middle, like that's the formula to, to beat Auburn's defense right now. Yeah. And you know, also it's been the penalties. Missouri's old line has been flagged for 13 penalties in three games and a bunch of false starts uh, a lot of holding penalties. I think they had three false starts at K-State, and I'm sure the noise was a part of it. It's only going to be louder if, at Jordan-Hare. Uh, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge for them. They're going to have to have, like, an overnight um, improvement from what we've seen for three games um, for them to have a, a chance in this game. What, what's the, I should ask you, it's, it's the only SEC stadium I have not covered a game at yet because Missouri hasn't played there. Um, for some fans that might be going to this game, or just watching on TV. What what is the atmosphere like at, at the stadium? Um, it's always got a great reputation. I'm I'm really looking forward to just being being in the house. So my advice to you is to 
escape the press box for a few minutes in okay. maybe the second quarter or something because it's the worst press box in the SEC. It's the it's corner, like, isn't it? Yeah, it's like an observatory in the corner and the windows don't open or anything. So you really feel closed off from the atmosphere. And and for a lot of last year, my first year on the beat, I felt like I didn't quite get the best sense of how great the environment really is. And then toward the end of the season, I would just leave the press box and stand on the ramp outside for a few minutes at a time during a game when I, yeah. you know, I didn't feel like I needed to be writing. And and it hit me in that moment. I was, I'm like, okay, this this it lives up. Um, so that would be my advice as a writer. I, I think the fans will, you know, they'll see that on their own pretty easily just by being in the house. So um, I'm curious what it'll be like for an 11 a.m. kickoff when there might not be much buy-in to the Harson thing anymore. I, I'm curious yeah. sort of what, what the fan turnout will be relative to what it usually is. But uh, so far in my experience here, Jordan Hare, even at its worst, is a, one of the elite atmospheres in the SEC. I've been to 12 of the 14 stadiums, and I mean this one, it, it's right there with LSU and Georgia for me. And my, my view of Florida is a little biased because the game I covered there was the one where uh, Mizzou won by like 21 points and, and yeah. sort of took the crowd out of the game. So I know the Swamp has that reputation, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that ha that happens sometimes. Like I, the time I, I, the one game I've been to at LSU, it it was Orgeron's first game as the interim head coach, and it was a night game, so you you expect that. But crowd wasn't great, you know. I think fans had fallen off the bandwagon a little bit, so I don't think I really got to see the full LSU night game experience. So I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping it's a good one, at least at least for the experience, you know, on Saturday. Because the way these SEC schedules work, who knows when the next time Missouri will be back at Auburn. Yeah, I we're we're still waiting to see what the new structure is going to be with with expansion. Right. So hopefully it'll be more of a frequent situation than you know Mizzou's a decade into yeah into this thing in the SEC and they're finally playing here for the first time. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, hey Bennett, this was a lot of fun. I will see you uh, on Saturday in the press box, and that'll uh, that'll do it for this week's podcast. We want to remind our listeners. Please check us out at stltoday.com slash podcast, where you can find the Eye on the Tigers podcast and all the other podcasts that our, our writers and reporters do. Also, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify, wherever you can listen to podcasts. If so, please give us a rating and a comment. Those ratings make it a lot easier for other listeners, other fans to find the Eye on the Tigers podcast. Uh, we want to thank our guest, Bennett Durando. He will be in Auburn on Saturday covering the game, along with me, along with uh, Callum McAndrew, our campus correspondent who holds the job that Bennett used to have. So uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a exciting. I don't know if it'll be a great game. I don't be a well-played game, but it should be a competitive game. I put it that way. I, I think uh, it's going to be like ugly in a really fun way. There I, you I, go. Yeah, it's sort of a rubbing your temples kind of game, but... Maybe I know Master Callum, by the way. So, okay, maybe not a lot of style points, but at least uh, maybe close enough to be entertaining at the end. Yeah, that's uh, that would that would pretty much be. I, I don't know. It's it's one of those where it's like I can't decide if it's going to be high scoring or low scoring because I just don't really know if Auburn's good enough at one that much more than the other, and I don't really know the case with Mizzou either. It's, I mean, it's 
one of those that truly feels like a coin toss. Absolutely, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll know soon enough. Uh, Bennett, this was a lot of fun. For Ben Fredrickson, I'm Dave Matter. We'll talk to you next time.